Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumpser. Good morning, Stacey. How are you? I'm good, John. How are you doing? Oh, outside of the incredible rain that we're having here in Northern California, I'm great. We've got How rain here in North Carolina too. Yeah, yeah, we've got rain here in North Carolina too. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's gloomy, but it's good. Yeah. <laughs> great. And so, so what's exciting for you these days? Well, for those who are aware of the work that I do at Sierra Cedar, we are in the process of updating the Sierra Cedar HR system survey as we do each year, making little minor changes and additions. Um, so that's been sort of fun. Aaron, my colleague, and I are working on that and getting ready to go on my traveling tour. Uh, next week, I have one more week at home, and then it's six weeks on the road. So, so we'll be calling in from all over the place here, at least in the United States, over the next six weeks, John. So. Yes, you and me both. This is going to be, it, it will sound like we're jet setters and mostly we'll yeah. be hungry to go back home. Exactly. Well, we've seen a lot of hotels, a lot of Marriott's and Hilton's and Hyatt's in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> exactly. Here we go. It's travel season again. Great. So what's what's new in the world? I, I think I, I, looked, I looked over our list today and there's a lot of money floating around. There is a ton of money floating around, and and you know it's not all going in a single place. I think you know sometimes we see all that focused in one area, but there's definitely a lot of money um, starting um, uh, for startups in the recruiting space. And uh, this is this has been you know so we'll have a conversations today about um, Jobrate getting 1.2 million dollars in funding, but also Nomad getting 12 million dollars, uh, both in the in the recruiting space. Drive Talent in the recruiting space, getting $3.8 million. Um, and then Click IQ, um, uh, getting another um, uh, um, $2, um, $2 million, I think that's euros or francs, I'm not sure. Um, and then uh, Real Match rebranding from what was Pando IQ. So uh, Pando IQ is a job board or job advertising application, which is, is rebranding and coming out with some new AI intelligence. That's just in the recruiting space. And then we move into um, organizations uh, like Collective Health getting uh, $110 million for investors. That's a health technology software um, that corporations are are betting on to reduce costs in the healthcare space. Um, Apple launching its own medical clinics, which sort of fits into that conversation. So we have time, we'll get into that. But then there's even more money coming in to the engagement space, $22 million for Pecan. Pecan is a, I'm not sure if I'm saying that, or maybe Pecan or Pecan, I'm not sure how to pronounce that one. But um, I have seen this um, application, at least at uh, events, but they're an employee engagement platform. So they're getting funding from that. Um, And if we have time today, after talking about all the money that's flowing into HR technology, we can talk about all the money that's going to be flowing into uh, probably the sort of security data management and technology from a, a, a source perspective for the GDPR or the right to be forgotten as well um, uh, requirements coming out of Europe because Google has now received 2.4 million right to be forgotten URL delisting requests um, and have only fulfilled 43% of them, I guess, based off of one of the European uh, regulations that went into place last year. So lots of lots of stuff going on. Lots and lots of stuff going on. So let's talk about, you know, it's really wild that all of this investment is going into, into recruiting. It's as if, it's as if the investors didn't know that a downturn is coming. And when the downturn comes, the recruiting market evaporates. 
Yeah. Right. So this is like this is like investing at the peak of the market. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and plus, I'm a little shocked by this because these seem to be very, very focused on job boards, um, job advertising, which is a little different than the matching technology. We've seen some, some I think, previous investments go, go really well, um, heavily into matching and interviewing ways to save money in recruiting, right? Those type of things. This is all about sort of getting ads out there. But, you know, didn't we just see the job markets from a job board's perspective sort of? If not explode, the you know the amount of um, of money those job boards were making didn't come to fruition. A lot of them were bought at sort of bottom of the barrel prices by large service organizations. Why are we seeing investments in niche products now? Do you do you have an idea around this, John? Well, sure, sure. The 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 theory that recruitment advertising works. Um, is more fervently believed when unemployment is low than when it's high. And so, so these are not, these are not all job boards, although nomad is a healthcare job board. And, um, um, the two programmatic advertising things are job board equivalents. Uh, but, but this, this really represents a change in the way that people think about advertising for for employees. The first one, Jabba Rate, who got a million two um, in additional funding. <clears throat> what what Jabba Rate does is it uses mm, social media data to predict the likelihood that somebody is going to leave, and they have a a complex um, modeling. Uh, tool that gives an idea of where somebody that you run across might be in their career. And they have this okay. view of, of careers as having inflection points, right? So a career has a series of inflection points and then at those inflection points, you're more or less likely to leave a company and job rate, um, um, uh, calculates that, and they do it in some really interesting ways. They have algorithms that predict the likelihood somebody is going to be in the job market based on patterns in their Twitter behavior. All right, so it's hmm. it's a job rate is a deep uh, social media analytics tool, I guess is what I would call it. And so so it's interesting. That number is also it's it's small by comparison to lots of other things and. Um, that I, I'm not sure that I understand what that means, but the the competition is raising two, three, ten times as much money, and um, and so this will carry job rate a, a little bit further on their path. But the idea that you could model um, everybody's career simply and and at limited expense strikes me as as um, optimistic yeah it, it's if i get it it's sort of like a flight risk but but flipped right so so they're so they're giving you know it would be as valuable internally as it would be externally to some extent right yeah it's exactly it's exactly a flight risk analysis but done from an external perspective yeah okay and and so that's probably one of the the other ones are are focusing as you said they're getting more money and they are the job let's look at the healthcare job portal Strive Talent is a sales boot camp model 
as well as a, a job for the sales positions that are running forty to sixty thousand a year, and then as you said, the click IQ and the real match are the idea of job ads, right? And so they're getting considerably more funding, it seems, than sort of the matching tools are. Well, those those two algorithmic advertising businesses, there are there are a ton of programmatic advertising companies um, in the recruiting space. And, and the idea is that you advertise in a particular environment at a particular time until you don't get any more response. And then you turn it off and you move on to some other place. That's the basic theory. So it involves a close monitoring of response rates to ads um, and the ability to turn those ads on and off as required. Um, and so that's actually kind of a good idea. It's embedded in Phenom People and a host of other um, interesting companies offer programmatic advertising. Um, so so there's no clear winner in that, but that's, you know, programmatic advertising for recruiting means that the, you know how the ads follow you around the last time you shopped for tires and and you see tire ads for the rest of the week. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, programmatic advertising does that for jobs, yeah. right? And and so and so you become and you become annoyingly bombarded with banner ads about jobs in programmatic advertising. Yeah, which which I suppose works for maybe the first day or so, and then all of a sudden you realize that after you've already gotten the job that you wanted, you really don't want to see those jobs anymore, right? <laughs> So there is some challenges, but I but it but it makes sense that I understand it um, from a from a a targeting perspective. I, I think the biggest thing that I see in this is that there's so many things that a, a recruiting staff has to manage on all these levels, right? And you know whether or not they're point solutions or whether or not they're something that they're going to manage externally or with their internal tools. Um, this is a, a a real, I guess. Um, challenge to to do the multi-point, multi-method um, recruiting model that many organizations have to do, especially if they're large organizations with multiple types of roles that they're targeting, right? Well, you know, what's really interesting about this is 20 years ago, before, before the web really took over, um, recruitment advertising agencies were a big deal. And a recruitment advertising agency did all this stuff for you. Mm. And what's happened is over that 20-year period, all of the things that the recruitment advertising agency used to do for you have now become things that you have to do for yourself, and there are tools that enable you to do it. And there's no because, – because the price points – you know, when recruitment advertising agencies were big – they sold Super Bowl ads and and stuff like that. They sold ads in the yep. New York Times. They sold ads in big newspapers that were really expensive, and they were able to provide service because advertising was expensive, and a percentage of that, you know, a twenty percent fee to do the work, gave you a lot of money that you could provide other services with. But yeah. now advertising is really cheap. That's what what what. Google and Facebook have done to advertising is they've taken all the money out of it. And, and you can't run 
a recruitment advertising agency based on the percentage of the fee. So what you see is an explosion in small employment branding agencies. I bet there are 20 of them. I bet there are 20 small employment branding agencies who do some of this work for you. So that actually leads right into, I mean, that's, I think, you know, understanding the history is really important sometimes in looking at technology and looking at the the way that it's moving. Uh, Oftentimes it's easy to forget where, where the historical perspective was, but, you know, Right now, we're also seeing that Facebook is sort of taking their own approach to this, saying that they want to become sort of the job board of the future, particularly at least they're saying for the blue-collar worker. So um, where they had quietly sort of rolled out their um, their version of a jobs dashboard, right, um, page um, for the U.S. and Canadian market, and it wasn't didn't get a lot of fanfare too much. It looks like um, this week they've also rolled that same jobs dashboard out to 41 other countries now um uh, and they're expecting that this could you know maybe uh get them 1.1 billion dollars in revenue from the linkedin you know kind of market so so that's sort of the next piece of this if 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 marketing and advertising is cheap and then the platform that's making it cheap becomes your chief competitor how does that work <laughs> Well, I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I'm a little. Mm, this makes my eyebrows raise in a crooked way. I guess is what I would say because <laughs> Facebook becoming the blue collar LinkedIn tells me that they think that their white collar market is disappearing, right? Or, or they'd be the white collar LinkedIn. Um, yeah. because the money's better, the money's better with, you know, the salaries are bigger, the money's better. Um, mm-hmm. and so, so Facebook wants to become the blue collar LinkedIn and they have a staff of, well, let's say 10,000 Ivy league college graduates. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think, I, I don't believe there's a, I've, I've ever heard of anybody who's a blue collar worker who works at Facebook, right? And so, <laughs> so the idea that they've got um, some affinity for the market and can extract money from it because they've got some affinity for the market, that, um, uh, I think that's a stretch. I think that's a stretch, but you know, you know, the big guys, Facebook, Google, Apple, um, Netflix, eBay, those, those those big employers in Silicon Valley are hitting headwinds in their markets and having to figure out what they do if everybody doesn't think that they're they're sort of the second coming. Um, yeah. And and this is the kind of move that you'll see them make. I, I I would put a little tiny bit of money on the idea that this is Facebook's first interesting public failure. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, and you know, I, I'm sort of on the fence on this one. I, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see if people want to, you know, look for jobs in the same place where they, they maybe, you know, bash their neighbor in some way that that is inappropriate, <laughs> right? Um, that's my take on this one. But, but on the other hand, I'm also aware that I know I personally have reduced my Facebook time dramatically, you know, in the last you know, six months or so, because it has become so hard to sort of work through 
the amount of overwhelming information and publications and to both fake news and, and real news and and information coming in off of that stream. I, I am wondering, you know, do they have to figure out a new uh, a new format for, for getting audiences to them, right? Some, something more useful than just, you know, complaining or, 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 or talking to someone, right? Well, what, what people forget is large-scale digital communications companies come and go. They don't, they're not, this is not, this is not a government institution. This is a commercial operation that works a market. And, um, it's just, it's just the next AOL. It, it isn't anything more than the next AOL and it will come and go just like AOL did. And before AOL, there was CompuServe, and, you know, this, this, this pattern of, of the watering hole becoming the big place where everybody hangs out and then moving on. That's what the club scene is like in every city, right? That yeah. For a while, social places are popular and then something happens and they're not popular anymore. And the people who run them can't figure out why, but everybody goes on to the next hip place. They just stop becoming popular. And, um, that, that's what we're going to see with Facebook, and it'll happen faster than anybody can believe. And twenty years from now, people will look back and go, "Can you believe that people wasted their time that way?" <laughs> Please, I do hope it won't become AOL and then the MySpace, right? But but we'll see, we'll see. You know that that would be a be a rough uh, a rough number for it. But kind of along the same lines of the what you were talking about, I think the the next topic is is even more important in this idea of of sort of we've reduced the cost to a point where it's not valuable to market, you know, to be big, a big recruiting marketing firm, but also the idea that for the moment, you know, there was a, a, a need that the technology was filling, a social component the technology was filling, but as people move on to something else, that starts to fall away. And businesses, unlike governments, don't stay in place just because you want them to. They stay in place because you're making something off of them. So we're starting to see a bit of this happening in the healthcare market, at least here in the United States. But this is going broader, too, because we're expanding the idea of what healthcare is internationally. But Collective Health is a organization that has started up, um, and they just drew about $110 million from investors. So you know, we just talked about a couple of $12 million and $22 million. This is $110 million from investors um, to get their um, health care technology. It's a collective healthcare startup offering tech-savvy tools for managing health benefits um, on the market. Um, it's a San Francisco-based organization founded in 2013. But the idea is that they are going to take make a tool that self-funded insurance, so organizations who have self-funded insurance will be able to manage their health care costs and do a better job of reducing those costs by picking better benefit options, by maybe managing where people are getting their benefits from, by maybe seeing which hospitals are giving better prices, whatever it might be. Um, there's a lot of different things they've mentioned in here. This is this is pretty, you know, uh, high investment in something that right now is, is still sort of a, a, a quasi sort of ambiguous space from the um, benefits perspective. What do you think about this, John? Or I don't, I don't know if you've been studying benefits a lot lately, but this seems to be a place we're hearing a lot of conversation about is this idea of doing something different. Well, so 
So, so the function that an insurance company performs in the healthcare market is that it it authorizes certain providers to provide uh, services, and it transfers the money around to do that. And the um, the company writes a single check. And the reason that Many, many companies are self-insuring is they find the fees associated with that to be ridiculous, right? So, so, so companies become self-insuring when they can't stand to pay the, the insurance company that much money anymore. It's, it's, this, it's a similar disruption to what happened to the recruitment advertising agencies, right? Um, when, it was, when it was plentiful, and the fees were good. There were lots of recruitment advertising agencies, and then it got cheap, and there's not. And so this is more like a marketplace that you can join if you're a self-insuring company that allows you to shuttle money. It sounds almost like a single invoice vendor management system to me, and um, and that they're they're applying sort of supply chain principles to uh, the healthcare market, which I think is. It's a pretty smart idea. It's got to be more cost effective while giving employees um, 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 uh, more choice in how they develop their own health care. It's a pretty interesting alternative. You know, I'm spoiled. I, I have a Kaiser. I've been a Kaiser Healthcare um, member for 25 years. And, and at Kaiser, there is a single healthcare record uh, that's digital, um, and all of the, you know, diagnostic services, X-rays, and tests are preserved in that thing, and you can review it with your doctor. So my 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 healthcare is is ten years into the future compared to what these people are talking about doing, but um, this would make an easier to administer benefits program that gives employees broader choice and broader capabilities to get their needs met. And so it sounds like a great idea to me. I think it's actually, it's going to, these type of organizations are really going to have a big impact in the United States, but also internationally, I think when they start, when we start talking about some of the additional healthcare benefits, when they start expanding there, right now, this is probably all focused on the United States and probably from a legal perspective can only be focused, um, in, in some cases there, but um, they do mention here a Canadian insurer, Sun Life Financial, that um, uh, is part of their investors. But this is this is really, I think, going to be interesting uh, as we start to watch this idea of the companies managing benefits at a level that they've never gotten into. So, you know, we, we just recently heard about the J.P. Morgan and Berkshire Hathaway uh, plans and Amazon's plans to sort of build their own sort of healthcare technical component in some way. We have, we don't know what that's going to look like, but they're creating sort of a what they're saying is is not even a, a for profit entity, but a non profit entity for doing that for their employees. Um, and then we also have a, a note this week about Apple launching medical clinics to deliver healthcare to their employees. Now, medical clinics being sort of on site has never that, that we've seen that for a while. But it sounds like this is a little different in that it's including this AC wellness program, which is a technical component, along with 
these primary care people on site and that they're directly paying them, which is, I think, I think, and I, I have to get more details on it, but, but sort of going around the insurance um, market a little bit like we just talked about this system might do. So this, I think we're, we're seeing a lot of different ways people are starting to address this, mostly coming from CEOs who are looking at their bottom line saying this is, this is a cost that's no longer acceptable, right? That's right. And, you know, this is, this is congruent with Apple's product line because, um, um, if you are an Apple employee and you use these clinics, I guarantee that you're going to be outfitted with Apple devices and that what they're really doing is prototyping a healthcare system that's based on wearable data collection devices. Yep, exactly. And and so the question will be who has, you know, they're trying to save money. They're also trying to collect more data. At what point does this become somewhat invasive if you're an employee, but if you want really good health care, is that the price you have to pay, right, to, to work with these companies? That's going to be, I think, the question that we're going to start to see. Um, it, it, it's a lot of conversation going on about this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, I would, I would read this up. I, I agree there's a, there's a, there's a, a, where's the boundary between the worker and the job question here, but I would read this Apple announcement as Apple is getting into the healthcare business. Not right. The Apple is going to build an Apple Store model of a health care clinic whose um, metrics and um, uh, key performance indicators have to do with wellness, not sickness. And they're going to use devices to make sure to, to sort of uh, understand and enforce the regimen necessary to produce wellness. And they're going to sell that um, on the market as an alternative to healthcare that treats you if you're sick. Gotcha. So pilot program. Interesting. Well, so this, that this, is not is how I read it, but I, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's a pilot program for the Apple Store of healthcare. Yeah. Well, this is this is you know this is where the the lines are crossing. Um, all of this goes back and forth between what what are companies trying to do and, and where does the healthcare business. Um, going to be sort of financially, it's going to be one of the biggest things in the next, what, 10 years because of the baby boomers aging and everybody's trying to get into that business. Um, so just to sort of wrap up, you know, on, on some of the funding news, we also have PECON. So PECON is a employee engagement application, right? Um, it raised $22 million in in Series B funding. This is another one of those organizations that are trying to rethink the idea of how we deal with employee engagement and improving it. Um, this is, I think, their yeah. This is their their second round of funding. Um, I, you know, we're hearing a lot about organizations focusing on employee engagement from a an assessment perspective. Um, what caught me though a little bit in their announcement because this is sort of their CEO saying, you know, here's what we're doing with this money, and they said. You know, we've done a lot of things in the last year, including travel and growth, where we took the whole team to offsites in Copenhagen, Barcelona, and Lisbon, opened offices in Berlin and Auckland, and grew recurring revenue by over 600%. But that's an interesting note to say after you just got a lot of money from an organization. <laughs> you know, we're seeing, you know, this idea of engagement and these businesses growing both internationally and here in the U.S., that these type of organizations are great places to work because they believe in employee engagement. Do you think we're going to see more of this sort of announcement that we're, we're growing, we're fast, we're fun, and we're investing money, you know, in how you can do that as well as a company, right? <laughs> remember, remember the sock puppets of the dot-com era? 
Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. This is this is the sock puppet of our time. Um, okay. <laughs> we just we just got twenty two million dollars that we took our entire company to Copenhagen, Barcelona, Lisbon <laughs> for offsite meetings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, all all they didn't say is we're proud to be called Pecan, and everybody in the company gets a pecan pie. Um, <laughs> so 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 I think this is I think that this is sort of a symptom of the of the overheated market that we're in. Um, the hype and, around it. Yeah, yeah, because because employee engagement. Mm, you know, you, you and I, you and I have have a long history of trying to sort out what that actually means, and it, it doesn't appear to mean anything, from what I can tell. Um, um, and so, a company that is great at improving this thing that nobody actually understands—I don't know how they fare when the economy turns south. Yeah. This one sort of got my hackles up a little bit, and it, it definitely made me feel like, hey, you know, you're taking what is an important topic and, and maybe making it a little bit, a little bit um, less valued in in the sense of how you're explaining what you're going to be doing. But fast growth is important too, I guess. So, so we'll see. We'll watch them a little bit more and see where they go from there. Um, but maybe sort of as a last commentary, I think you know all of these topics that we've been talking about are about gathering data, getting more information, um, getting you know more details on employees. And, um, you know, we are starting to run, get into the era where particularly in, if you have European employees or European clients, you're going to be required to maybe capture the data and then eventually get rid of the data if they request. So um, this Google announced that they have received 2.4 million right-to-be-forgotten URL delisting requests, um, and they were able to fill, fulfill 43% of these. Now, this is based off of a... Uh, um, Three years of the um, three years ago, yes, they started the right to be forgotten um, European requirement. I think this has to do more with the URLs and not personal data, but this fits right along with the GDPR, um, which is supposed to be starting to go in effect in May 28th, which is where um, the general data protection regulation from Europe, which basically says, now I want you to forget me as an employee. Um, or me as a client in, on all my individual information. So this is going to be a, a, a tough thing that we're entering. Uh, do you think we're going to see people ready for this in, in just two months away, isn't it? <laughs> it it's, it's exactly two months from today, I believe, that we, that we hit the GDPR enforcement regime. And the right to be forgotten is going to be understood years from now as a primary um, – a primary human right, the right to be forgotten is a primary human right, and um, the world is slow to catch on to that. So, so for Google to have this sort of dismal performance in their in their attendance to the laws of the European Union um, uh, doesn't doesn't make me comfortable that this is going to be a quiet summer for Google. Yeah or for Facebook or anybody else. And um, it's, I think we're going to hear a lot more um, when you consider that the GDPR is now putting in effect that not following these restrictions means that you could get 4% of your revenue um, right. as, as part of the um, cost of this. 
So we'll 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 have more on this, I'm sure. But but we have gone through our entire 30 minutes talking about the amount of money people are putting into HR technology, and now we're going to talk about how much money it might cost people if they aren't able to get data out of them. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, well I, th- I think we're going to be hearing a lot about GDPR in the coming months. So so this yeah. is a good start for that. We should revisit the topic. So thanks for doing this, Stacey. We are out of time, and we're on to the next parts of our lives. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and listening today. Um, It's it's a privilege to be able to do this with you. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly with Stacey Harris and John Sumpter. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye now. Bye.